Hey there. Welcome to Coffee with the Docs. We are a holistic lifestyle podcast where we give integrative solutions and bring brilliant experts to help you thrive. Mind, body, and spirit. We are doctors Nicole Huffman and Abby Kramer, and we're so happy you're here. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Coffee with the Docs. This week, we're excited to bring you another episode with Dr. Genevieve Newton, who will link her previous episode, but she is the scientific director at Fringe. And so it's her job to just be delving into all the research and the data on a weekly basis about various topics within health and wellness, but is super focused on CBD and the endocannabinoid system at the moment. So we took a deep dive. Our first episode, which I think was, man, almost a year and a half ago, probably was all just about CBD. This episode is all about the endocannabinoid system as a whole. So she really introduces that concept that it's a whole body system, which is just mind-blowing. I mean, it's really a system that like we ideally should have learned about in med school, you know, circulatory system and endocrine Mm -hmm. system and digestive system. Like there's this kind of huge umbrella system called the endocannabinoid system, which can have an impact on like every single system in the body. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of important. Yeah. It sounds like though they're learning still so much about it, like every day that, yeah, I think it's just like, yeah, like the dinosaur textbooks, like haven't caught up yet. Right. (laughs) Maybe in 20 years. Yeah, exactly. It's like everything they learn about now, they teach us in like 30 years. And then by then it's outdated or like they've Mm -hmm. found new stuff. Yeah. It takes so long to catch up. Yeah, exactly. But I did find it super interesting that it really is involved in almost every system of the body she was like, well, it's not in basophils. And I was like, wow. So it's like literally in like every I know, it's nuts. thing. And so, yeah, I think it's interesting, like finding that balance and how to balance it. And I think that is like a piece that um, I'd love to learn like a little bit more of too. Like, um, you know, just like, okay, just like just taking CBD, like balance it out or you know, other things you can do too. I just think it's a really fascinating episode about a system that literally affects everything. Right. And the cool thing is too, we talk about this a lot in the episode, but there's so many ways outside of taking a supplement to boost that system, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. Like I love when any message gets back to the basics, you know, ultimately like it's not a fix to have to take CBD every four hours till you die. Right. So like, what are other ways you can help your body be in a better state of balance and harmony and, you know, just like any supplement or product we talk about, right. They're just that they're supplemental and ultimately it's all those lifestyles that make up like 80% of that. So she gives a lot of great tips of free, easy ways you can help like the health of that system too. Cool. And like what it means. So like, Definitely sciencey parts, but also like some real like tips, like things you can do today too. Yep. And if you guys are interested in trying Fringe, um, there is a link in the show notes. 
Um, it comes in a powder. I feel like you could probably do a better job of talking about it, but I use it almost nightly just to help with like calming down the system and falling asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, since it's like healthy in pregnancy, it's been like a go-to. I do like half a packet at night. Um, I haven't really experimented with using it during the day because I do feel like it makes me sleepy. So I don't, and I don't really have anxiety or anything. So yeah. I don't feel like I need it. Yeah. For focus. I don't anything. need it during the day. Yeah, yeah. But like, I do definitely like it at night. I've used it with, um, my horses because she <laughs> definitely dives into how like most animals have one as well. So yeah, I mean, I love it. I personally love the blue one, the man. Nice. Yes. The CBD isolate. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple different forms and they also have an amazing CBD lotion. Oh yeah. I use that too. Yeah. For topical stuff, muscle aches and pains, skin conditions, joint inflammation, stuff like that. Topical CBD is really great. So check them out, use our link and uh, let us know how you like it. All right, guys. Thanks as always for listening and we always appreciate a five-star review if you don't swing it. Thank you. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Coffee with the Docs. Today, we've got an awesome interview with Dr. Genevieve Newton. She is a chiropractor and PhD and also the scientific director at Fringe. We've had her on in the past to talk all about CBD. Um, We get so many questions from our listeners and our patients about CBD and who should use it, why you should use it, what kind of CBD to use, et cetera, et cetera. So I will link that previous episode with her in the show notes. Definitely start out with that one if you haven't listened to it. And today we are going to take a really deep dive into the endocannabinoid system or the ECS. So welcome, Genevieve. Thanks, Abby. It's nice to be here. Yeah, of course. So before we get started, we always ask, if you remember from last time, are oh, yes. the same first two questions. So the first question is, what is your current like favorite drink of choice? And the second question is, what is your latest biohack? Um, so I wonder, I haven't gone back and listened to that episode, but I wonder if my answer for my drink of choice might even be the same as it was that yes. day. Um, I will tell you about what I'm drinking right now. Um, cause it is one of my favorites and it is a combination of, um, s- soda stream, you know, fizzy yes. water with yes. lemongrass, mint, uh, balsamic vinegar. So I put about an ounce of that oh, in wow. and some holy basil, uh, tincture along with some, uh, liquid chlorophyll and you, yeah, it's very wow. tasty. If I, if I really step my game up, then I also use some fresh mint, um, and also mm-hmm. some fresh basil and I just cut it up and put it in there yes. for additional flavor. But I, um, my growing, uh, garden, indoor garden has been, a little bit delayed this, this fall. So I'll get there, but yeah, it's, it's very tasty. And I mean, when people hear mixing soda water with vinegar, they're like, ew, that really sounds gross. Mm. But when you get the, um, the specialty vinegars at the place that I yes. we have a cottage at a, in a little town and they have a special olive oil and vinegar shop where right. they literally have dozens of different flavors. And they're yes. really like, you know, you get a bunch of cool fruits that are you know right plum and limes and all kinds of things but the lemongrass mint is the one that uh, I'd say is my favorite wow that sounds yeah. amazing 
All right. Um, so biohack, uh, I'm doing an interesting biohack right now. And I know you're going to ask me to describe what it does. And um, I can't actually tell you. So I'm going to tell you what it is. It, it, I've been doing, I've been doing um, an, a neurofeedback called neurooptimal neurofeedback. Okay. And uh, I originally um, had brought my son to do it for some help with uh, some learning issues and a tick disorder. And what I found with him was that he really like we would drive home afterwards and he would be really talkative and open and calm and it was quite remarkable and so he would notice that when he was having these sessions and afterwards that he just really felt you know kind of peaceful uh, you know the way a 12 year old would describe sort of being grounded etc and so uh, we ended up renting or leasing a system and I figured now I've got this thing in my house that I'm using with him why don't I try using it and so it's a really it's a form of dynamic neurofeedback and um, I have taken a different approach that I normally take to things like this which is to go all in and try to figure out everything in terms of the mechanism of how it's working I'm taking the opposite approach and just going with it and actually not trying to learn about it so that I can let it evolve however it evolves and so I've done about um I've probably done about 40 sessions now I just connect myself to it at night oh. it's about half an hour and it really does seem to have a uh, calming effect um I do know that the idea is that it is about synchronizing the right and the left hemisphere of your brain, as well as like a frontal to parietal, occipital, sort of all of that activity is supposed to be synchronized. That's essentially what the goal is. And when you listen to the, um, the inventor talk about it, he's a really fascinating guy. It's kind of the, he, he seems to have a very Buddhist philosophy about, and it's just about being present in the present moment. And so it's like a neurofeedback system to bring you into the present moment, which is pretty cool. And it seems to be working. So it's that's so awesome. awesome. I've never heard yeah. of that. Like I've heard of like different neurofeedback or biofeedback mechanisms, but that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, so far, so far, so good. I'm, I'm only about, uh, I'm about four months into it, I would say. And my son's about six months. So wow. Awesome. All righty. So let's get into it. So first question obviously is going to be, what is the endocannabinoid system? Yeah, the endocannabinoid system. So short answer, the endocannabinoid system is a system of receptors and molecules and enzymes that's distributed throughout our body that has the general function of um, regulating balance or homeostasis in our bodies. Now, that being said, if we kind of want to dig into that a little bit deeper, um, you might ask the question, what exactly does endocannabinoid mean? Like, what does that word actually mean? So it comes from, um, has two roots to it. So endo meaning made from or, or coming from within, within the body, and then cannabinoid, which refers to this cannabinoid class of chemicals. So these are chemicals that are made within the body that bind to um, cannabinoid receptors, and they are themselves of the cannabinoid class. So another, uh, I think, relevant point for your listeners about this system is, you know, when you think about biological systems, you're thinking of things like the nerve nervous system we've got our brain and our spinal cord and our peripheral nerves or you're thinking about your um you know your your endocrine systems with those different glands 
This is different in that we don't have organs that uh, relate to this system. We have instead a scenario in which this system exists inside the cells. It's an intracellular distribution, along with, um, if you look at the cell membrane, you see receptors on the cell membrane. So it's very different in that sense than you know, what we normally think of from a, from a biological system. Right, makes sense. So there is this system within every single cell of the body. Now it's not quite within every single cell, but it is within most cells. So uh, research in this area is still really in its infancy. We haven't mm-hmm. been, been seeing a lot of um, activity in this area until really quite recently. And mm-hmm. so I would say that we still haven't most likely looked at all of the cells within the body, all of the cell types. One cell type that I have seen that has not shown in an endocannabinoid system are basophils, which are part of the immune system. Mm-hmm. But pretty much everything else that's been looked at does have some components of the ECS. Now, it might not have every component. And when you compare different cells in different systems to one another, they are not going to look the same in terms of their distribution of all of the components. So, for example, if you were to look at the nervous system in the brain, you're going to see a lot more of this CB1 receptor than you are of the CB2 receptor. And in contrast, if you look at the immune system, you see a lot more CB2 receptor and a a lot less CB1 receptor. So there's definitely variability, but for the most part, we are absolutely correct in saying that, yeah, you know, you see this pretty much everywhere throughout Mm -hmm. the human body and certainly within every system, the endocannabinoid system is present. It might just not be in every single cell type within that system. So it's definitely pretty, um, pretty ubiquitous. Got it. Wow. So let's take it back to, like you were saying, the research and everything is still really in its infancy now. And we're like just at the tip of the iceberg from what I understand, but how and when was this whole system discovered? Yeah, you know, it's really, um, if we're looking in biological terms, it's really a very recent discovery, but Mm -hmm. the first um, impetus for the discovery of the ECS was in 1964. And that's when um, THC from cannabis, you know, Delta uh, 9 tetrahydrocannabinol, that psychoactive component of of cannabis that we talked about in our last conversation, Mm -hmm. that was identified in 1964, characterized, you know, its molecular structure, all of that um, was done by an Israeli scientist uh, that's done an enormous amount of work in this field. He's actually still working in this area. Um, Dr. Uh, Raphael Mishulin. So he identified THC in 1964. And of course, that opened the door to us knowing that this THC molecule has to be coming in the body and binding somewhere, you know, because it's mm-hmm. doing all of these things when we take it. So in 1988, so we're really fast forwarding quite a bit here. At that point, the receptor, one of the receptors that binds the um, THC molecule was characterized and that molecule was called CB1. So CB1 binds to THC, but it also binds to molecules that are made in our body, which are called endocannabinoids. So that's where we get this you know, endocannabinoid system name. So the endocannabinoids um, are made within the body and they're very much like THC and even you know, CBD and some of the other cannabinoids that we find from the cannabis plant, from the hemp plant, but those are called phytocannabinoids. So phyto meaning from plants. 
Okay, so we've got that distinction, endocannabinoids and phytocannabinoids. So 1988, we identify this receptor that binds THC. And then of course the scientists say, well, we know there's gotta be something that's actually made in the body that binds to these receptors. Like there's no way that we don't have receptors in our body that exist for plants. It doesn't work like that. So then the research moved into looking for those endogenous molecules. And so um, over the next 10 years, what happened was uh, the two endocannabinoids were identified. So these are molecules called anandamide and 2-arachidonylglycerol. So we just short form that to 2-AG. And the second uh, cannabinoid receptor, which is CB2, was identified. So we now have CB1, we have CB2. So those are our two cannabinoid receptors. We have anandamide and 2-AG, our two endocannabinoids. And then in addition, part of the system uh, includes the enzymes that make those endocannabinoids and break them down. So those are the, the three components of the endocannabinoid system. And really it was that period of, you know, from 1988 into the, you know, mid to late 90s that, right. that we had those discoveries that were made. So really, really recent. And I think one of the things that you don't realize until you get into doing this sort of lab and molecular research is just how difficult it is to actually, you know, answer these questions and find these things. The, the, the conception is often that you, you know, you go into a lab and you just look for something and it's there. But the reality is you have to have the tools and the techniques right. and the assays and the, you know, the binding capacities and things like that. So it um, was the characterization of this system, you know, ending in the late nineties, but really we didn't get good at, at actually measuring these things until well into the two thousands. So research is very, very active in this, area at this point, but it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty recent. Yeah. I mean, it's mind blowing that we can even discover like a whole system and these molecules. And, and I mean, when you, yeah, think that. <laughs> it is. And, and I mean, what's amazing is that like the plants give us the clue, right? Like right. You know, when we consume this, we have this biological response. And so then the next step is to figure out, well, how's that biological response, you know, happening? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So awesome. So I know you could probably talk about this for hours, but <laughs> in like a general sense, you know, now we've kind of laid the foundation. We have this whole system that's in every system in the body, you know, affects every system called mm -hmm. the ACS. What does it do in the body and why is it so important? Like, why is it that there's so much research being done now on it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I can almost answer that question. Like, what does it do in the body with the counter and say, what doesn't it do? It's yeah, been right. kind of remarkable in terms of how this research has evolved. So you could, you could approach answering this question from a big picture perspective. Like what are the overall general functions of the ECS? And then you could apply that question into each of the individual systems and look at what within those systems does the ECS regulate? So mm -hmm. from a general perspective, I've already mentioned that it's it's really about maintaining homeostasis and balance, right? That's what that term homeostasis means. We always want to maintain all of these different parameters in our body in a balanced state. If we go too far in one direction or in another direction, we end up getting sick. And, you know, sometimes it's really um, uh, an acute sickness and we'll end up dying very quickly. So the ECS is about balance. And as part of that, it's also about adapting to stress. So, you know, homeostasis gets imbalanced with stress. And so the ECS uh, is, is really required to 
to bring that back into balance. So regulating function um, and responding to stimuli, you know, adapting to stress, responding to stimuli, it's, it's a super, super dynamic system. And it ultimately is very, very, very much involved in maintaining health and fighting disease. So when you look at the origins of the, the system and you're going back like hundreds, millions of years, literally like the earliest organisms and you're seeing these early um, endocannabinoids appearing and the, and the receptors appearing, it's been hypothesized that those, are, those were there to protect the organism. And so in, in, it's, it's sort of like that, that protection response is, has, has been maintained understandably maintained throughout the whole evolution. Um, and it's so important. I'm going to tell you a quote. This is like my favorite quote about the endocannabinoid system. It was by um, Dr. George Kunos, who works at the uh, National Institutes of Health. And I may not get this exactly right. I'm paraphrasing. Um, he said, maintaining the health of the endocannabinoid system may be important in literally all diseases affecting humans. So having therapeutic potential so in all diseases. And yes. I mean, you know, to make that statement, all diseases, like, okay. I don't think there's, there's nothing else that I've come across that you can right. say that about, right? right. So yeah. it's really, 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 really profound. But then we could go into different different biological systems, like the immune system, mm -hmm. or, you know, the nervous system, and we can look within those systems at what the ECS is doing. Did, would you like me to give you a couple of examples there? Yeah, that would be awesome. Okay. So um, there, there's an interesting case study in the literature, and this gives you a kind of dramatic illustration of um, what the ECS does in a couple of different systems. So it's kind of a fun, fun story to start with. And uh, it was a, a woman in Scotland and they wrote a case study about it because it was so unique. And uh, she went and had surgery and I guess it was a very like, you know, really invasive, should have been a really painful surgery on her hand. And the doctors noticed that she didn't really need any pain medication. And they were wondering like, why doesn't she need pain medication? Right. She did something so invasive here. So they started exploring further and they discovered that, well, she had surgery on her hip a couple of years earlier and she didn't need any medication then either. Mm. And she started describing that, you know, in the past she's put her hand on the stove and she didn't realize that her hand was burning until she smelled right. burning flesh. Yeah. And um, also they, so they did a bunch of tests on her and she scored yeah. really, really low on tests of depression and anxiety. You know, this woman was just like mood was, was spectacular, yeah. but she also reported that she had these memory lapses. So kind of throughout her life, she struggled with memory problems. And so they did, um, they looked at her, 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 they sequenced her genome and they discovered that she had a mutation in this enzyme that's needed to break down anandamide. So basically she had like super high levels of anandamide wow. in her body. So that shows us that you know, the endocannabinoids are extremely important in the regulation of pain. And so that brings us into the nervous system. Yep. They're extremely important in the regulation of cognition, mood, memory, yep. again, bringing us into the, into the nervous system. So that's an interesting one. Um, there's also a, an interesting example from uh, one of the first ECS drugs that was developed. So this was 
in, a, I think it was 2008, kind of getting into the late, early 2000s. And the first drug that made it to market was an anti-obesity drug because they knew that the endocannabinoid system regulated appetite. So they gave, they, they, it got to, it got to the trial stage, made it to, um, to, to human testing and, and the market and people, you know, were taking this drug and they really like their appetite was, was significantly decreased, mm -hmm. but then many of them got depressed and even suicidal. So again, um, we have this, so you're seeing, okay, now we have regulation of appetite in the, in, you know, in our, in our systems, um, in our digestive system. And, and, and so literally like if we move to the immune system, we have regulation of, uh, inflammation of immune function. We have in our skin endocannabinoid system, regulation of yep. hair growth, regulation of sebum production. And so all, I mean, everything that you see, you start being able to tie that to multiple clinical conditions. It's, it's really remarkable if you go to the literature and you just, you can almost pick a, a clinical condition. So if you were to go to PubMed and look up Parkinson's disease in the endocannabinoid system, depression in the endocannabinoid system, um, the microbiome in the endocannabinoid system, like it's, it's, wow. it's just, it's a link that, that is being found with literally, literally everything. Yeah. yeah. So amazing. That's part of why it's like so hard to keep up on. It, it is hard to keep on, uh, but it's funny because it's almost like in a way, once you sort of know what the system does, yeah, you, you could come up with a hypothesis very easily about what right. it's going to be doing. You're probably like, well, of and it's, it's like, well, that. it does this. Yes. It's yeah. like, you know, that if the cells uh, contain, you know, CB1, CB2, right. anandamide, um, that, that, that there's going to be, there's going to be some sort of relationship there. Now, that being said, some of the things are are definitely surprising. So for example, the regulation of appetite, you might not necessarily think that when the ECS is more active, that people are gonna be more hungry. So when the ECS is less active, that's when appetite goes down. And so this is one of those areas where they found that an increase or a hyperactivity of the endocannabinoid system is actually associated with some negative outcomes, right? So it's been sure. associated with obesity, metabolic uh, syndrome, diabetes sort of thing. In yep. contrast to that, generally, like an upregulation of the endocannabinoid system is, is, is usually thought of as a good thing. It's thought of as being sure. something that's kind of protective for the body. Right. So, um, so what I would say about it is, uh, I, I, I tend to describe it as it's not necessarily like an A plus B equals C sort of thing. It's not like, okay, boost endocannabinoid system throughout the body, and we're going to have a super positive outcome the endocannabinoid system itself has to be in balance right so right. the system within every system needs to be maintained in, in homeostasis totally and I think it's like that concept can go across the board for almost anything in health like yeah. even a good thing you can do too much of absolutely absolutely right. like exercise right like mm -hmm. yeah yep so you mentioned how like the ECS is prevalent throughout the entire body. Do other living things also have an endocannabinoid system? Yeah. So pretty much all living things, um, insects, and then something called, uh, I think it's phyla protozoa are, are missing an endocannabinoid system. And then a lot of the really primitive organisms that, that do have endocannabinoid systems, they won't necessarily have the complete system, but they'll have some component of it. Mm -hmm. So it depends on, you know, what do they have organelles within their cells, et cetera. Right. Um, but yeah, it, 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 the first or the first um, stage of evolution of the endocannabinoid system was about 
500 million years ago. Wow. Yeah. So wild. Yeah. Really wild. And so people are probably thinking like, okay, I have this system. That's great. But how do I know if that system needs support, right? Like with Mm -hmm. heart health, if you have high blood pressure, hard cholesterol, like that's kind of an indicator of where you're at. How can people assess how their ECS is doing? Yeah. And that is a difficult question to answer. So I would say we can look at that from a quantitative perspective versus a qualitative perspective. And unfortunately, if we go to a quantitative perspective, which is what all scientists would love for us to be able to do, like we would love to be able to do a study where we can just evaluate everybody's endocannabinoid system and say, you have a healthy system, you have a system that's, you know, impaired. But if you think about the way I describe the system, so first of all, it's responsive to stimuli, right? So it's always changing. So if you take a sample of something within the body at any given point in time, it's a snapshot, but that's not telling you about its responsiveness. I mean, you'd almost need to get in a position where you have this, like, like a continuous blood glucose monitor or something where you're, where you're monitoring like a a cortisol test where you're spitting like hours for, you know, or something like that, where it's more. Exactly. And so that's one thing that I think that we're, we are going to start seeing, but mm-hmm. the other part of it is that, and it, and we see this with, with, with other, you know, biochemical measurements as well, you're limited to what you can access peripherally. So you can yep. get into the blood and you yep. can measure your endocannabinoids in the blood, but that's not telling you what your CD1 receptors look it like. It doesn't tell brain. you what it's doing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you could do, you could do a, you know, your saliva test, you could do your blood test, but at this point, those quantitative assessments are really difficult. And so, you know, you see more of this research being done with animals where you can sacrifice them and then look at density of receptors and tissues and things like that. Because um, there was a concept called uh, the ECS tone that was brought up by another really prominent researcher in this field, Dr. Ethan Russo. Um, Again, this was pretty early on in in the in the game here is in the early mid 2000s. And so what he proposed is that every individual has an individualized ECS tone, and that's a function of their levels of endocannabinoids, their density of cannabinoid receptors, and the turnover. So that would be an activity of the the enzymes that break it down and synthesize it. So um, kind of built into that, you think that ECS tone is something that could be dialed up and increased, or it could be dialed down and decreased. And, you know, you you think of that as an adjustment, but we, we've, we've, tended to think, oh, well, what we want to do is boost ECS tone. We want to get that tone up. So, so that's, it's, it's a really great concept. It's like on a, you know, on a more kind of big picture level, it's wonderful to apply it. It does sort of start to break down in some respects when you start to look at different pathological conditions and you see, well, sometimes when we have a disease state, ECS tone is actually high and maybe we want to bring it down. That being said, is it high because of the disease itself and it's trying to correct the disease? That's why we're seeing more tone or did the disease process boost the tone in a pathological way? Like, is that yeah. a, do we, that we want right. to bring it down? Right. So right. That, those are two different things. You'd want to bring it down versus it's wanting to bring like, it up. Like blood work too, you know, like 
are your white blood cells high because you're actively fighting something off and yeah. or are they right. dysfunctionally high? Right, exactly. So um, in terms of the tone though, there was a really good study that looked at a whole range of different disease processes, pathological states, and it looked at whether UCS tone was increased or decreased. Um, and for the most part, what they found is that um, generally speaking, when tone is increased, it's considered to be a protective mechanism. So increasing the tone should be a way of helping to fight the disease. And so, so we can we can generalize with that. But but from a more qualitative perspective, how does somebody tell if their ECS is healthy? And you know, this isn't maybe isn't a great answer, but it's generally thought of that if you are in a state of health, that it's assumed that because the ECS is so intricately involved in all you know health and disease states, that if you're healthy, you probably have a healthy ECS. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense. That's was my thought process as we were chatting about this is it's more, you know, which honestly is how I prefer to work with a lot of my patients. A lot of people get crazy about testing. Like you're saying, I want to yeah. see the numbers on paper and, but it's like, but how do you feel? How do you feel? Exactly. Sleeping well? Are you moving your body? Do you feel really stressed out? Are you in pain? You know, like all of those can be great indicators for you know, if you're well or not, and if yeah. you've got a bunch of symptoms, you probably have got some work to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Makes sense. Um, let's see. So talk to me about, do you have any examples of a huge part of our audience is um, women's health focused? Mm -hmm. Has there been much out there? I forgot because we had several people ask us that they wanted to hear about this from you. Yeah. Um, are there any specific examples or case studies or anything you've come across in the literature of the ECS and its impact on hormones? Yeah. So one thing that, I, so with, from the perspective of women's health, the one thing that's really been focused on, and I mean, research goes like this, right? It, one study finds something and then you start to see a predominance of research kind of in that little niche area. Um, and so this has been related to the health of the uterus. And so it's become very clear that in uh, cases of uterine fibroids, of endometriosis, there is abnormal ECS function that, you know, so the ECS is imbalanced in, in those kind of pathological Very conditions. Cool. Yeah. And so it does raise the question of, uh, you know, if you take something that's an ECS modulator, you do something to modulate your ECS, is that going to have a positive impact on, on that disease state? And I think, I think it probably, it probably will. Um, and the, the research just hasn't necessarily caught up there. So there's that part of it that's really been a focus. But from a reproductive system perspective, I did a deep dive into all of the different systems and the ECS within those systems and what they did. And the one that really struck me, uh, well, there's the two that really struck me the most. The one is the, is the nervous system. So, you know, crazy importance of, of the ECS in, in brain function, you know, health, et cetera. But reproduction, especially for women was so fascinating because the female reproductive system has all of these different states that you go through, right? In the course of a, a month, if you're, if you're premenopausal, you're literally, you know, shifting through multiple different yeah. stages of, of, of uterine processes and hormones and egg development, yeah. et cetera. And the, the endocannabinoid system is 
required to regulate every single one of those. So um, the development of the ovum, you know, if you're looking at implantation, if you're looking at pregnancy, it's absolutely critical that if you want to have a healthy pregnancy, you have to have a healthy reproductive system, Mm. PCS. So it's, 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 it's critical for women's health. Um, I think this is, this is clear, even though the research, uh, there's still a lot of, of room for us to answer many, many questions. It's clear that ECS health is needed for all aspects of women's health. Now, one area that I know a lot of people are very interested in is like hormonal balancing. And if you go and do a Google search for that question, you'll see, you'll see articles that talk about um, how important the ECS is for balancing hormones. Um, It's not, those are claims that are not necessarily supported by research, but hypothetically, it's certainly very plausible. I think the research just hasn't been done. Um, But, but, but there's no reason to expect that, that, that this would be a place where we'd have a disconnect, right? We see, we see that homeostasis and balance is being so important. But at the same time, this also opens the door to the fact that this is an area where, um, because it's such a, it's such a, it's like, it's almost like a dance, like choreography, where you have all of these different things that have to happen at different times, right? And so if you're looking at um, different stages of, of female, um, reproduction, for example, you'll see different dominance of endocannabinoids versus, um, you know, an antibiotic versus 2-AG, things like that. So it also opens the door that this could be an area where if you, if you go kind of crazy and you're supplementing with like hundreds of milligrams of CBD a day, you might disrupt something, right? And so I think that right, it's we, a balance. We, yeah, exactly. It's a balance. We don't want to come in there when we don't, um, you know, we don't want to come in there with like supra physiological doses of CBD, yes. for example, when someone's trying to get pregnant, you know, you want to, mm-hmm. you want to keep those, those levels on a, on a moderate, on a moderate stage and gauge people's response to them and how they're feeling. Right. I mean, it does make total sense though. Like you're saying, even if there haven't been huge studies done on this, like, I've seen so many times with patients, their fertility issues are really just rooted in like nervous system dysfunction, right? They're really, really stressed out. And from a survival standpoint, if you're in that fight or flight mode or have been under chronic stress for the last decade of your life and on birth control and all these other things that impact your health, that your body is not necessarily prioritizing, like maintaining a pregnancy. Absolutely over other body functions. Right. So that's why I think, um, the ECS is so powerful and makes so much sense because if you feel more regulated, more balanced, more in like that homeostasis, like safe place, like everything is going to function better. Yeah. Like I think of this system, I usually kind of describe it as a, as an umbrella system because it's an umbrella over all of these other systems, but it can also be described as a foundational system, right? So what you're, what you were just saying, you know, if somebody's under all of, all of the stress, et cetera, um, you've got to get that foundation back in balance. And then you'll have the ripple effect outside of that within all of these other systems that then they'll be, you'll be able to achieve homeostasis and balance in those systems. For sure. That makes total sense. And so then, like you're saying, the next question is, okay, we know the ECS tone has a huge impact and can affect hormones. For example, this could go for any body system, obviously, 
But now the next point of thought is like, okay, if you are thinking your ECS is a little dysfunctional, could use Mm -hmm. a little bit of regulating, you want to start taking CBD every day, for example, how do we know if that CBD you take every day is going to then affect your hormones or could it theoretically go help balance a different organ system that yeah. needs help at that time. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the thing. There's no, there's no distinction, right? Just like, like the, the, this chicken or the egg thing too. So I'm thinking, for example, of a scenario in which someone has, um, you know, issues with their liver health, they're probably going to have problems with their ECS and their liver, but the rest of the body may be, may be okay. And so supplementing with EC, with CBD, um, is that going to help the liver, but potentially, you know, be too much for one of the other systems? I think that the, think the answer to that is like, the body is remarkably intelligent, right? Like we do have that, that, that natural intelligence when we're working with plant medicines, we're really working with things that, you know, I, I mean, ideally, I hope that people aren't, aren't taking um, doses that, that, are not ones that we would have probably worked with medicinally throughout human history. Right. Right. And that, and that's the thing. And so, so that being said, the studies of CBD in high doses have shown very minimal um, side effects. And and so I think that, I, I think that we're still in the process of determining, you know, what is that upper level that should not be exceeded, but for most people that are just supplementing on a regular basis, they are nowhere even remotely near that level. Like they're, they're way under it. Most people are not right. taking oh, hundreds yeah. of milligrams of CBD a day. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the recommendation is always to start low really. And you know, you don't, you don't keep going up until you like the reason for increasing your dose of CBD is because you're not achieving any observable benefits. And if you get up to a high dose and you're still not achieving any observable benefits, then it's probably not the right tool for you to be using. Right. And there are other ways of addressing the health of the ECS. There are many other ways of addressing ECS health. And so I really think that something like CBD is if you're going to just take CBD and not address any of these other lifestyle Mm -hmm. options, um, well, then you probably are going to have a, 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 pretty limited response to it relative right. to what you could do if you put that in a toolbox of an, a number of other ECS modulating activities. Totally. So that's the perfect segue because, you know, I never like to be like this one thing is the answer for everything. Right. Yeah. So because it doesn't make sense that like we were all born with like an you know, CBD deficiency. And like, that's the, yeah. like, we have to take that every day to be in balance. So what are other ways you can modulate your ECS outside of CBD supplementation? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you about, I will get into those in just a second, but I do want to comment on what you just said there about, you know, we weren't born with like a CBD deficiency. So certainly we, we weren't, um, but modern life, our modern lifestyle, even from childhood and, you know, young childhood at this point, we are being bombarded with things that are known to have an adverse effect on our endocannabinoid system. And so that's, I think, why 
CBD is having such a powerful effect for so many people. It's not because we need CBD necessarily. It's because we have messed up our endocannabinoid systems so badly. And we totally. are continuously, our environment. Our environment so, yeah. So, I mean, maybe one of the things that we can get to after we look at how we can help our ECS is we can talk about how your ECS is harmed and you'll really see yes. how like right. it's, it's, it, we're, we're, we're really doing a number on this system, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So, but the good thing is, as I said, there's a lot of things that we can do to help it. And what's, what's absolutely fascinating is it's like all of the things that we, you know, prescribe to patients as, as, as lifestyle interventions, funny enough, turns out that they all, modulate the ECS. They all work through the ECS. So for example, body work, if you go to a chiropractor, if you go to a massage therapist, if you go to an osteopath, if you have acupuncture, research has shown that all of those things affect the endocannabinoid system. Okay. And the one that I find so fascinating about that one is, um, is acupuncture. Cause I, I mean, I'm so interested in energy medicine and I really wonder about, um, you know, what is, what is this relationship? Cause we, we really don't, we really don't know what the relationship between our energy meridians and the endocannabinoid system are, but perhaps there is something there. So certainly that manual therapy is very helpful. Um, from a bodywork perspective, yoga has been shown to be helpful for, for the ECS meditation we all know how many benefits people are achieving from meditation one study looked at people who went on a four-day meditation retreat and they looked at levels of uh endocannabinoids and it was remarkable how much they were increased from a in the same individual when they came in before starting the meditation retreat and then after it was you know just absolutely fascinating pre and probiotics. So the microbiome, the more research that gets done on the microbiome, obviously, the more we're understanding, like, is there, it's, 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 who would have ever believed that, you know, our, our microbiome, our bacterial populations were so important with everything from our mood to, you know, our mental health, uh, like our, our pathology in our, in our, in our brains, et cetera. Like, it's just amazing. And so pre and probiotics, work through the endocannabinoid system and the the endocannabinoid system and the microbiome specifically there there's some the term that gets used to describe that relationship is uh crosstalk so it seems like the system is really tightly related to that microbiome and is communicating with other systems like the nervous system and the immune system so really really fascinating there wow yeah yeah amazing um breath work is something that a lot of people will talk about as, as being an ECS modulator. Now we don't actually have very much research at all on that, but it does, uh, it does seem like that's going to be, um, th there's going to be a, 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 probably a pretty strong association there when we look at it. But one of my favorites, because I'm a nutritional scientist by training is diet and diet is, is a huge, huge ECS modulator in part because what we eat, especially our fats that we eat, they actually provide the substrates for the mm -hmm. synthesis of endocannabinoids. So if you eat a lot of omega-3 wow. fatty acids, that provides the substrate for you to make the omega-3 derived endocannabinoids. And so, so then that goes deeper yeah. to in the nineties when like all fat was bad. Oh yeah. You are not doing it. Like thing. that probably messed up yeah. everyone's ECS horribly with like low fat, fat free, everything for 30 years. I mean, until very recently, we're finally coming out of that. 
Well, we are, and but unfortunately, we haven't rebalanced our omega six to omega three ratios, and no. so the omega six to omega three ratio, which um, you know we always hear about how important that is, it seems like it has a really profound effect on the endocannabinoid system. Wow. We want to have a high level of omega threes to a lower level of omega six, and what's what I have found a bit unusual about that is that the two endocannabinoids that we talked about. Um, are in fact derived from omega-6s. And so it's interesting to see that it's not actually a good thing to consume really high levels of omega-6s. You wanna have that balance with the omega-3s. And, and again, it speaks to the fact that this system itself is imbalanced, right? You, so if we're consuming those really high levels of you know, corn oils and, and all of these you know, vegetable oils that are high in omega-6s and the animal fats that are high in arachidonic acid, yeah. um, it may look like we want those to make endocannabinoids, but in fact, it's the system doesn't want that 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 distribution of fatty acids in it. It wants that more of that Mediterranean diet ratio. So Mediterranean diet um, is is a fascinating one because it's not just higher in omega threes and omega sixes. It also has some other other foods in it that that like some different oils and nuts and seeds that have been found to have endocannabinoid system modulators in them as well. So the Mediterranean diet is a really good, good one to follow. And the last thing um, with respect to what you can do to boost your ECS is to do things, and this is so cool, to do things that you find rewarding and pleasurable. So one study, and uh, it was a pretty lousy quality study, but it doesn't invalidate the results because they were pretty significant. There were women that engaged in different activities that they enjoyed. So they engaged in singing, they read, they exercised, um, they danced, and all of those things were found to boost endocannabinoid. So pretty remarkable. And so I think a kind of a a good rule of thumb is like, if you are doing something where you're moving your body or you're engaging in, I mean, a, you know, a, a healthy rewarding and pleasurable activity. I know I don't want to say like, you know, if you're going right. out and you're consuming, <laughs> you know, maybe you really like to smoke, like that's not going to be a good thing right. for your ECS, right, right. but things that are rewarding and pleasurable have been shown to be really good for your endocannabinoid system. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a lot of the messaging with fringe is, things that just inherently make us feel good yeah in general are the things that boost that system exactly. so you know the take-home point here is if you don't want to have to like take a cbd supplement every day you need to kind of look at those category of things and make sure you're getting those regularly and yeah like, I've seen it's just really hard to do that on a consistent basis you know yeah. we all have phases of life where we're doing that or on vacation, of course, like feel amazing. Right. But to get that consistently all year round when we're all so busy and in the grind is so hard, which is why I really think like 30 years from now, CBD supplementation is going to be looked at like vitamin D, like our environment is just working against us to get the amount we need. Yeah, well, I, I and I mean, I hope that in 30 years we've gotten our SHIT together and we're not causing so much destruction yeah, sure. to our totally. ECS. But yes, we're yes. in the new world. <laughs> yes, exactly. Better place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because the things that are um, the things that are so bad for our endocannabinoid system, the main one is chronic stress, and it's literally it just gets in there. Um, 
acting on a disruptive level for the hypothalamic pituitary axis and and the the system is designed to be able to deal really well with acute stress and that makes sense you know when we from an evolutionary perspective we dealt with acute stress and we had you know punctuated episodes of of some pretty intense stressors um but this like long-term chronic stress uh that we are now experiencing in you know, not just mental stress, but we're also experiencing physical stresses in many ways that is extremely disruptive to the endocannabinoid system. And so for some of, for some of us, these stresses are starting in, in, in childhood, even young childhood. And so to look at, you know, what's a lifetime of that going to be doing to our endocannabinoid system. Um, and so I think that really speaks to what you're saying, like under those circumstances, we do need all the help we can get. We really need a lot of help. So, so stress management is really huge. And that's possibly why, you know, meditation was, has been shown to be so helpful and then diet. So if you have diet that is working to support your ECS, well, you can imagine you have diet that dietary patterns that are very harmful for your ECS as well. So, uh, not having pre and probiotics, you know, not having those fiber rich foods, that's harmful because Mm -hmm. of the effect on the microbiome and the endocannabinoid system, Uh, a high fat, high sugar diet in combination. So there was one animal study that found that after three and a half days of a high fat, high sugar diet, people's microbiome and endocannabinoid systems were altered in a negative way. Um, And the good thing was though, that it didn't take long for it to repair itself. So when the diet was changed to a Mediterranean style, you know, things got a lot better quickly, but we know that most people, you know, there are some people that eat like that their entire lives, right? And so um, those are things that are really working against us. One thing I forgot to mention that's good for the ECS is aerobic exercise, especially some intense aerobic exercise. Um, So the runner's high that we thought was due to endogenous opioids, is now recognized as being more due to uh, the release of endocannabinoids. So that's pretty amazing. So if you exercise at a higher intensity, it doesn't have to be a higher intensity, but higher intensity is better. Um, You're gonna really see an endocannabinoid system boost. And conversely, if you're sedentary, well, that's putting stress on on the endocannabinoid system. Um, so, so those are things you, you know, we talk, we, we look at that list and it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what's, that's the modern lifestyle really. Yeah. Um, totally. and then alcohol abuse. So a little bit of alcohol is okay. Um, chronic, uh, or binge drinking is, has been shown to be really detrimental. Makes sense. So yeah. then, you know, we know the system is kind of like self-regulating. I'm wondering, people that maybe like you said, have had childhood trauma, their whole life has been incredibly stressful, right? Does the ECS almost like create its new homeostasis at like a lower tone? Like, are those people like, would they need more than just like to supplement every day? You know what I mean? Like, is their homeostasis now like set at a dysfunctional? Right. I don't think we I don't think we know that, but what I would say is that I'm optimistic it's not from the perspective of looking at, you know, and it's what's what's amazing is how rarely this research is done. Mm-hmm. We rarely do research on lifestyle interventions, intensive yeah. lifestyle interventions. And the reason for that is probably because when we do, it's remarkable to see the changes that are affected in the mm-hmm. human body, right? Like look at look at the Wim Hof research, right? Right. Like 
he can go in in a period of a few days, take people that are experiencing severe depression, and you know that's 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 been changed, and there's blood right. markers that's been changed, and they're you know they're infecting them with endotoxins, and they're they're not getting sick. So yes. I maintain uh, optimism from that perspective that that yeah, you can probably take a really unhealthy endocannabinoid system and and improve it by by right. these lifestyle interventions but as you say it's hard right it's hard mm -hmm. like you've got to adopt the healthy lifestyle you've got to adopt the good diet you've got to exercise regularly the the, the stress just the stress control you know from 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 that perspective uh yeah like how many people today are not experiencing stress but if you can learn to do that it's powerful yeah totally and so we know that there's all these lifestyles, ways to, you know, increase endocannabinoid tone. There's CBD, which is obviously cannabinoid based. What other plants and foods also have cannabinoids in them? Because I know it's not only the hemp plant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so within that Mediterranean diet, there are some of the, the different components. Um, some of the other ones that have been been found, uh, there's common ones like black pepper, um, lemon balm, uh, ginger, hops, cloves, carrots. So a lot of like your herbs and spices, um, a lot of things in that plant kingdom. And, and now these are, these are it, within these plants, you see a range of different chemical compounds. So um, you'll see things that interact with the CB1 and the CB2 receptor. You'll see things that interact with the enzymes that break down or make the endocannabinoid. So Many of them have slightly different mechanisms of action, but they're all kind of coming in and having that that general effect on the um, endocannabinoid system. Um, maca root, you know, which a lot of women are taking to support their, uh, you know, hormonal reproductive health. Maca root is an endocannabinoid system modulator. Um, and so that mm -hmm. may be an interesting kind of link there. Um, cava cava, which I know mm -hmm. there's some controversy around the safety of, of those supplements, um, but I think they can be they can be mm -hmm. taken in, in a healthy way and they're ECS modulators as well. So we, we do have, we do have plants that have, um, you know, endogenous cannabinoids or sorry, uh, phytocannabinoids in them. Mm -hmm. Um, but the cannabis plant really does. And the hemp plant really does seem to be unique in having such high levels of molecules right. that, that right. can act on the system. Totally. All right. So someone is thinking, let's say, okay, I really think I could, you know, start supplementing CBD, start introducing more cannabinoids into my lifestyle to help the health of that system. Where would you recommend people start like dosage wise or type of supplementation? Yeah, it's, it's such a good question. And, um, it can get really complicated when you're trying to answer that question for people. And then the, you know, the response of the person is like, oh my gosh, this is too much. I don't know that I even want to go down this road. So I think point number one is you want to keep it as simple, as straightforward as possible. So I would say um, the first thing you want to do is figure out what is the, um, the type of CBD that you want to take. Do you want to start with an isolate? Do you want to start with a broad spectrum or do you want to start with a full spectrum? Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my experience with those, and I, 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 I can speak to them from my own personal experience, but also from what I've seen from research. And there's actually a bit of a disconnect there for me. So from a research perspective, 
much of the research has been done with CBD isolate. So they're showing benefits with CBD isolate, but there are studies that say comparing an isolate to like a broad spectrum or a full spectrum, because there's more in there, more chemical compounds, there's more of an effect. And one area where they really clearly have seen this is with um, epilepsy, the children that have severe epilepsy that are benefiting from CBD, they do benefit from a CBD isolate, absolutely. But studies comparing the isolate to full spectrum, broad spectrum, head to head, have shown that they can take less if they take a full spectrum or a broad spectrum and they have fewer side effects. But from my perspective, yeah, it is interesting. Um, from my perspective uh, or my experience, so I've experimented with this with both myself and my, and my son. And I, you know, for me, it's been with pain and my effect mm -hmm. with pain. Mm -hmm. And for my son, it's been with his uh, tick disorder. From a pain perspective, the thing that gets rid of my pain is the CBD. So if I take an isolate or a full spectrum or a broad spectrum, there's really no difference. Like I get really good pain right. relief from all three of them. Mm -hmm. And so that says to me, it's the CBD in it that's right. doing it. Because if sure. you look at the concentrations of the CBD versus all of the other stuff that's in there, yes. um, much higher. there's very little of the other things and, yes. and very high amounts of CBD. Yeah. So CBD is really the active one. And same with for my, for my son. Like we, we haven't found real significant, really significant differences between any of those forms. So, you know, at Fringe, we do recommend that if somebody doesn't have experience with a CBD, that they can start with an isolate. And mm -hmm. that tells them that it's, you know, this is what CBD is doing for you. Right. And then if CBD by itself is helping, I would still recommend, you know, you do that for a month and you, you have a good experience. Okay. Well, you know, maybe the next month you try the broad spectrum right. just to see if perhaps you could get a little bit more from it. But if you don't, you know, then you know that really for you, that CBD is the thing that's, right. that's working. So that's the first question. Um, the second question is determine what is the form that you want to use? So do you want to use an oil? Do you want to take a capsule? Do you want to buy, you know, there's more and more like pre-made beverages that, that you can, that you can buy. Um, do you want to take a water soluble powder? And so you have to think about your lifestyle and you have to think about, you know, are you looking for an immediate on or a shorter onset, like a rapid onset? Um, because if you are and you don't want to wait, uh, then really you're probably looking for a, for a water soluble because mm -hmm. the water soluble is so much more bioavailable, gets in your bloodstream faster. It's more predictable in terms of your response. Mm -hmm. You yep. don't have to worry about taking it with food the way that you do with um, uh, the oils. And so that's a, that, that's a really good option. It's also very portable. Now there might be situations that I've had this with, with my son, for example, you know, where we've, we've been out and we've been um, in certain situations where a powder, I haven't even been able to use a powder. And under those circumstances, we really needed a capsule, you know, just a capsule where it was like, and so, so those are, those would be my two I mean, you know, water soluble by far is my, is my preferred form because of the, the I think just think it's, it's just a much better experience. Um, yes. and then second choice would be, uh, would be a capsule. Um, third, you need to find a high quality product, right? You really like, I'm in Canada, so we don't have the same issues that you have. We have a lot of regulations around what our products, what products are available. We actually regulate 
CBD in the exact same way that we regulate THC here. So uh, yeah, yeah, to the point where it's quite annoying. Like you, yeah. you have to go to a cannabis store and, and you buy right, a CBD to get product. A CBD. Yeah. Well, and it says THC all over it, even though there's no THC in it. And so it's very, actually very uh, confusing. Yeah. Yeah. But on the positive side, um, the product manufacturing is regulated. Safer, probably. Yeah, it's yeah. safer. But yeah. so from a US perspective, you want to make sure you've got a high quality product. You want to know where that product is made. You want an organic product you want yes. a certificate of analysis where you're looking at it and you can see has this been tested for you know pesticides and microbials and yep. you know has it do we know that there's no thc in it because some of these products uh you know if the research has shown that it's sometimes you're getting yeah you can and so you know you could be giving this to your child and next thing you know your child is like significantly impaired or maybe you're you know you right. take your cbd product and you need to drive and right. you get behind the wheel of the car and you're actually you're actually feeling impaired so that's 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 a really you know a really important component of it and then the last thing is once you've selected that and you've got your product now you have to figure out what dose is right for you yeah and and so that starting low and going slow is a very good recommendation. If you talk to different um, medical practitioners, it, often you're going to get a, you know, everyone's going to give you a slightly different answer as to what that low level is. Some people will say five milligrams is the level of CBD that you should start with. Um, I find that to be very low personally yeah. I think like 15 to 20 maybe not for like a, smaller children but yeah absolutely for sure. yeah from a water soluble perspective um 15 to 20 like so a half pack of our fringe powder has 15 milligrams in it right and mm -hmm. I find um that you know I will get some some good pain relief from that but I get more when I take 30 sure. and the same with going to sleep like if I'm taking it to help me sleep at night um, 30 is a good dose for me. So, yep. but the key to all of that is really, you've got to track your symptoms, right? So mm -hmm. it's very easy to just take something and not really pay close attention to what's happening to you. But if you want to know what dose is working for you, you really need to, you know, just keep a journal. Um, yep. and yeah, it's about being really proactive with your experience like with the, with the it's such a, a personalized thing, right? Your endocannabinoid system tone and exactly. that day, how is it doing? Right. Yeah. So, you know, we could have 10 people in this room and they all might would respond differently to the same dose, but they might respond differently to the same dose on the next day. Exactly. 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 So and so I that's think really that's what's so frustrating for people. And I've run into so many yeah. patients that are like, I tried CBD for yeah. a couple of weeks. It didn't do anything. And it's like, well, oh my gosh, there's so many variables. Right. Absolutely. And you really kind of have to be willing to like, maybe fumble through it for a month or two to figure out what yes. works for you. But once you do, I've rarely found a patient that didn't feel a positive benefit once yeah. they kind of got to that point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it is amazing how often you, you hear people, it's almost like one story or another. They say, oh, I tried it. It didn't work for me mm -hmm. or I tried it and, and like, I use it every day and I, and yes. I love it. Right. So, it, and what that comes down to is, is, you know, maybe sometimes people just tried it and they've gotten lucky and they've hit their, you know, the right dose and the right product, et cetera. But, yeah. um, it, it, for most people, it is going to be more of a commitment in terms yep. of figuring it out and taking your time. And, and I think that's, I, I think that's okay. We've gotten so disconnected from, um, or disempowered with our health, right? Like yeah. this is really the way that it, 
it should be with a lot of things. Yeah. Like you should be aware how you feel on a daily basis, you know, but we've been so used to like, unless you're on the verge of death or like super ill, then you go see a doctor and they're the only person who can fix you. Exactly. Versus we're like tapping into how we're actually doing on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. The power is ours. The power really is ours. And I think uh, more and more people are realizing that. Mm-hmm. Love that. So, all right. As kind of parting words, if people, I'm sure everyone's minds are blown and now they want to learn more about the ECS and the hemp plant and all that. Do you have a few just recommendations for people, whether it be books or podcasts, like resources for them? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, I did a little bit of a dive um, recently in, cause I haven't looked I haven't looked for about a year at what the the offerings for education are on the ECS um, online, and I've been I was pretty blown away at how much of an explosion there has been of interest and also of education in this area. So, um, what I would recommend some sort of good resources. Obviously, we are we are you know often writing about the endocannabinoid system at Fringe, and so uh, you can find blogs at learn.joinfringe.com. Um, we have a short ECS course. It's about 22 minutes. It's not out yet, but it should be on our website probably in November. Um, we're going to be launching a new website and, and we'll have that course on there. It will be me sort of talking about the, the ECS. It's not very long, uh, so it, and, and, it's, and it's pretty easy to understand. Um, the Society for Cannabis Clinicians. If somebody is wanting to um, have a, 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 a course that's a, a paid course, you can go there. I can't speak specifically to that course, but I have taken other courses from them and they're always, it's a very, it's a very high quality, good, good resource. Project CBD often writes about CBD and the endocannabinoid system and their articles are always really, really, you know, well-referenced, um, written in good language, easy to understand. So that's a, it's a very good resource. And then there are a lot of cannabis podcasts that have been coming out lately, like cannabis science, cannabis products. Um, and most of them I have found are, are, are really pretty impressive. And so, uh, if you, if you, look at uh, just cannabis podcasts and the endocannabinoid system. Many of them are talking about the endocannabinoid system at, at some point or another. So that's, that's really what I would kind of the landscape that I would go to, but amazingly, like even, you know, Metagenics has, has a a short course on the endocannabinoid system that they've done. Like it's, there's a lot of education that's out there. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. And you're welcome. Thanks so much for your time today, Genevieve. It's been mind-blowing as usual. My pleasure. I'd be great to talk to you. (laughs) All right. Have a good one. Thanks. The statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the FDA. Information provided here and products recommended or sold on coffeewiththedocs.com and or our podcast are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information provided by the site and or by this podcast is not a substitute for a face-to-face consultation with your physician and should not be construed as medical advice of any sort. By using any of this information or reading it, you are accepting responsibility for your own health and health decisions and expressly release Dr. Nicole Huffman and Dr. Abby Kramer and its partners and guests from any and all liability whatsoever, including that arising from negligence.